Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis and they have a look back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Scott Mueller. Scott's the president of Shopcology. The show today, we talk a lot about shopper marketing, retail, where retail's going and how it's evolving. We reflect a little bit on a piece we wrote for Adweek around confronting the retail apocalypse or pushing back on the notion that retail is somehow dying, when in fact, the net store increases were nearly 4,100 stores this year in the U.S. So not dying, evolving is more appropriate term. And so we talk a little bit about the different trends and both speak from the retailer perspective as well as brands that might be using retail as a strategic channel for themselves. And spend a lot of time talking about real life examples that Scott's seen and studied in the marketplace. So I hope you enjoy this show with Scott Mueller. Well, Scott, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Let's get started by just hearing your background. I think it's pretty interesting what you've been doing over your career. And then kind of keep us up to date. What is Shopcology doing today? Yeah, sure. So I like to say my background is kind of unique. It's an interesting mix of both client and agency side opportunities. I've had a chance to do some interesting stints in a bunch of different marketing disciplines and roles. And through all of that, I kind of felt myself continuing to be pulled more in the direction of specializing in what has now become kind of shopper marketing, but really focusing more on the dynamic of 
the retailer and the brands that sell inside that retailer and trying to reconcile kind of the differences or find the, the common points of interest for having those brands really come to life in the best way possible for the shoppers that we're both trying to win with. So I actually spent about between a little over 15 years up in New York, working in some of the bigger agencies, building those practices and working with a lot of brands up there, and then uh, decided to just kind of branch off on my own. And so I've been doing this consulting for the last eight or nine years now. It's been interesting because it's been some stints where it's been directly with brands and working on kind of helping them figure things out. But I've also found uh, some interesting opportunities to plug into different agencies and really become a discipline expert for them and helping them kind of further flesh out what they bring to their clients. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I know a lot of consumers don't recognize the partnership that has to go on between a brand or a product and the retailer itself. They just think when it's on sale, oh, the brand did that. Right. They don't realize that there's like a handoff that right. the retailer says, oh, no, that's that's what we want. Yeah, that's who you are going to be this week. Right, 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 yeah. right. So it's interesting to see that dynamic. And I know a lot of marketers that don't deal with retail channel probably don't even realize how that happens as well. It's um, one of the biggest expenses that a brand who does sell in retail encounters every year is their trade spend and what they're going to invest with their retail partners to set themselves up for success on both sides. Right. And you think about it, it we think about the dynamic as the three legs of the stool. You've got the retailer who's trying to figure out how to build their brand and get more people to spend more of their dollars and building baskets there. You've got the second leg of the stool is the brands themselves and who they're trying to appeal to. And then you've got the shopper. And the power dynamic has shifted over the years. For a long time, it was the brands that called the shots. They were the, the Tides and the Coca-Colas of the world were the big power brands, and they could dictate where they were going to sell and when they were going to be on sale and kind of where they were going to be featured on the shelf or in the end caps. And then there was this rise of these power retailers, the Walmarts and the Kroger's and the Home Depots of the world that came up and started really taking away at that clout and saying, no, it's going to be on our terms. And we're going to determine kind of when you're going to be featured and how many facings you're going to get on the shelf. It's more about kind of our business model now. That all changed when e-commerce really came online, when the mobile and digital landscape really kind of evolved to what it is today and continues to evolve to what it will be tomorrow. All of a sudden, the shopper had all of the information and all the power to decide which brands and which retailers and on what terms I'm going to buy. You know, you think about it, you can stand at the shelf now and look at a display or a feature of a product and then go right to your phone and decide that you're going to buy it online someplace <laughs> else. So there's all this shifting sand that's happened yeah. and it continues to kind of shake out. But I think the reality for now and kind of into the foreseeable future is the shoppers got the power and is calling the shots. Well, we, you know, we collaborated on a recent Adweek article kind of pushing back on this notion of the retail apocalypse. And I just thought it'd be good to get your take on, you know, what's the current state of retail? So I honestly, and I've kind of felt this as this whole retail apocalypse storyline has been playing out over the last 18 months or so, that it really isn't the doom and gloom that was being portrayed. You know, for every Sears, and I don't mean to kick them while they're down, but for every Sears that's out there, you know, they've lost three quarters of their, their footprint in the last 10 years. They've been selling off brands, trying to kind of stay alive. And now they're blaming their pension fund for right. the fact that they're not a viable business model going forward. But for every one of those, you've got a target. 
who's on fire. So is Home Depot. Macy's is doing some interesting things with acquisitions and testing different business models. And the earnings reports are bearing it out. A lot of these retailers are now overweighted with recommendations by the investment community because it was a wake-up call, I guess, more than it was a death knell for Mm -hmm. a lot of these retailers. And they're really stepping up and kind of really understanding that if we don't evolve and change, we're going to be serious. So you've got lots of online-only players who have now decided to open bricks-and-mortar locations because they see the, the role of what the physical retail world can do for a brand as they're telling their story. You think about 10, 15, 20 years ago, retail used to be about five things, right? You had inspiration, you had convenience, you had immediate gratification, you had the ability to touch and feel, and then you had kind of the experience of being where you are and kind of going through the process of deciding to buy something. Then e-commerce comes along and says, "Uh uh-uh, you know, one through three are now ours. We can do it way better than you. We don't need any bricks and mortar locations to provide that inspiration. We can do that with the way that we provide content and the way that we feature based on your browsing habits. Same thing with convenience. There's nothing more than convenient than sitting on your couch, hitting a button and saying, (laughs) I want it to show up at my doorstep. And sometimes it's two hours later, it's there. And the same thing with immediate gratification. So I think that fits in there nicely. Now it's even number four is becoming a little bit more in play. And the try before you buy technology, visual search, chat bots, all of these things are, are continuing to bring that whole experience of being able to really get more information, touch and feel in the virtual sense is now becoming, I can order something, it can show up. If I don't like it, I send it back. Shipping's free both ways. So that part is kind of being taken off the table. So it's now really becoming much more about that experience and that understanding of being somewhere in real time and in mm-hmm. real life and the memory of what that experience was that's driving me to say, it's in my best interest to spend my money on this here. So long-winded way of saying, I think it's been a, a bit over of an overreaction to say that bricks and mortar retail is, is going away. Right. It's still plus 90% of all sales happen in some type of a brick and mortar location. Well, and I know last time we were together, you talked about kind of the net impact on retail is actually positive. There's been more store openings than there have been closings, even though we always hear about the closings. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the department stores really have been driving the majority of the store closures. This Since 2001, overall sales of department stores have plunged like 35% or something. So that's a lot of missing sales that, you know, you don't have to support the infrastructure and the footprint that you're carrying. So, but that being said, overall, you know, 85% of brands that are involved in some type of a retail infrastructure, bricks and mortar infrastructure are actually opening or are maintaining their store counts. So it's really like that 15% that are decreasing in the store counts. Last year, 2017, retailers, according to the National Retail Federation opened almost 4,100 new stores and that they're expecting an overall increase of even more than that, somewhere around the 5,500 range number for 2018. Now, some of that is repurposing real estate that has been lost to somebody who's gone on to the other side, but stores are opening. And I think, again, we're seeing more and more of that with the right kind of philosophy and business model, bricks and mortar retail does matter. Right. We've talked a little bit already about partnerships, whether that's partnerships between the brand and the retailer, but partners in general, I think, are playing a bigger role today. What are some examples that come to mind to you? So there's been a lot of interesting conversations that have been happening out there between whether it's a Kohl's has been in conversation, for instance, with Aldi 
and has done some testing with opening all the grocery locations inside the footprint of a Kohl's. I think you have Kroger talking to Ace about, mm-hmm. is there an opportunity to open hardware within the Kroger footprint? So mm-hmm. not all of these are going to work, but right. it's interesting to hear about the experimentation that's happening. I think it was the Whole Foods, Amazon merger, acquisition, whatever you right. want to call it, that was a real shot across the bow. Yeah. You think about Whole Foods now and the footprint of what Whole Foods represents to Amazon as a, a distribution point and a place to kind of bring things back that aren't working for you. So you think about these cavernous spaces that were these superstores of the past, and they played their role at the time, but now there's no bigger cavernous superstore than Amazon. Right. So <laughs> these bricks and mortar locations that used to be just kind of haphazardly filled with stuff are giving way to these smaller, more curated experiences, mm-hmm. but they also can provide access to that back of the house inventory. So you don't have to have everything on the shelf kind of in an overwhelming assortment, but more about what is the experience that's relevant for today, mm-hmm. whether that's seasonality, whether that's kind of more specialized little boutique experiences, but that doesn't limit you in what you can ultimately do with that retailer. It's more the inspiration and the experience of that retailer and those brands are helping me better prepare for what I ultimately need to buy and solve for that. So I think, you know, the real estate's not going away. It just needs to be rethought and mm-hmm. reallocated. The save me time, save me money, save me hassle. It still matters, mm-hmm. but it's also make me happy, leave me inspired, make me happy for having made the trip. And if I want to buy a hammer with my bananas, then, you know, that's, <laughs> that's what I want. That's what I want. Yeah. Right? That's funny. I think the last time we were together as well, we were talking about pop-ups and how they're more of a trend, I guess, now. And you also just mentioned the curated store concept of, you know, a physical store that's always there, but everything is shifting and changing. Right. It's almost a, a fixed pop-up, if you will. Right. How do you think about those? And I guess from a marketer standpoint, I'm thinking about those and, you know, from a product marketer standpoint, is there any risk of inconsistency? You know, meaning like I can't find it because it went away. Went away. Right. Yeah. You know, you think about, again, we were just talking about the real estate's not going away. It just needs to be reallocated and repurposed. Pop-ups are filling that need in a really unique way. Back when the economy crashed, and you had all these storefronts that were just sitting empty. It was interesting to watch something like the Halloween experience right. that would pop up in these interesting places, and they would take over these spaces for you know, a very defined period of time, for a very defined season, yeah. and they would meet the need. And they serve a purpose, right? Mm-hmm. So I think pop-ups can be great if they're done right, if they're used correctly. It can help you go to where your customers are. Right. It can help you test a new revenue stream. It can create a get-it-while-it-last sense of urgency. It can attract and educate new customers. But they're typically designed to be those temporary in-and-out installations. So it can also be difficult to find the right location or to mm-hmm. negotiate favorable lease terms or right. the fixtures and fitting that need to come along with it in order to be able to tell the brand story could be prohibitively expensive. And then what do you do once you're shutting down? Right. How do you keep the conversation going? So I think... All of that being said, going in with a well-thought-out plan for what the pop-up is going to do for you and what the longer-term plan is for coming out of the pop-up with a strategy to now have a more engaged conversation with an audience that you've now had the opportunity to attract, 
is an important part of why or if they're relevant for what you're doing. Right. And then you mentioned the curated kind of inventory concepts. Mm-hmm. There's a growing number of those kinds of elements or institutions or brands that are out there. Story, for instance, is a, has been in Soho in Manhattan for a couple of years now, and they've been doing some interesting work with kind of taking a space and almost making it a living magazine mm-hmm. concept. So every several weeks or months, the storyline changes, and that's why it's called story. So, <laughs> you know, the one that I just saw the last month or so was called Out of Office, and it was all about summertime and the living is easy. And the brands that were featured and the colors that were chosen and the, the way that you kind of experienced what was going on in the space was very much about that vibe of kind of that take it easy and kick back, read a good book and enjoy a, a cool drink kind of thing. And that's not going to be what they feature in the fall because right. that's not the what's relevant. And it's not going to feature the same brands because those brands that were featured in out of office are going to be less relevant most likely for <laughs> what it means to be now back to routine and back to school or whatever the next storyline that comes out of there. There's also a, a new group called Neighborhood Goods, which is just opening their first store in Plano, Texas. And they've taken a little bit of a different approach. They're going to have 15 or so different brand installations that will rotate on an ongoing basis. And really, it is kind of the opportunity for those brands to come in and tell their story in a very localized way Mm -hmm. to an audience that they may not have been able to reach otherwise. And I think their plan, if, if they're successful, which I hope they are, is to expand that concept to other cities. And then you get that whole idea of what brands are relevant. And right. what story should we be telling for the audience that's in front of us mm. instead of just making it a cookie cutter? We always have, you know, bread on this shelf and bath towels on that one. Right. Yeah. So again, the pop-up is, is here. I don't think it's going away anytime soon, yeah. but it does run the risk of being something that creates more problems for brands if, mm-hmm. than it solves if it's not handled correctly. These curated concepts that we were just you were just talking about, they make it almost sound like a, a completely new media opportunity. I mean, the store itself is almost a medium. Absolutely. And it's kind of wild. I think brands have been there for a long time. They've seen the opportunity to tell their story. Mm-hmm. The retailers were the ones that were kind of holding back and saying, no, 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 no. We're clean story policy. We don't want you, right. you know, or we don't want, you know, stuff on the floor in the middle of the store that's attractive. We want people to be able to come through in a very clean and efficient way. Clean and efficient has its place, and it is relevant in some what we call missions for shopping. Mm -hmm. If I'm going and I'm just looking to load up on the staples, I don't need a lot of clutter in my way. But if I'm going to be inspired and I'm on a treasure hunt, Costco invented the concept of treasure hunting, (laughs) and that's why you walk out of there with several (laughs) cartloads of stuff before uh, all is said and done when you only went there to get toilet paper. I think, you know, the retailers are now coming around to the idea that it's in their best interest for the brands to be able to tell the story, their story, in the context of the story that they're trying to also cement so that it, it becomes the place that I want to go and spend more of my money to buy more of what I need. Mm-hmm. Versus if you think about a lot of these retailers all feature the same products. They're within pennies of each other mm-hmm. price-wise. So then it comes down to are they convenient location-wise? Is that why I'm going there? Right. Which is not you know, going to be long-term a loyalty strategy. Mm-hmm. Because if I move or my office moves, you're no longer convenient to me. And you know, there's another place for me to right. kind of make my selection from. Right. So. Good. There's other models as well. 
that are emerging. You know, can you talk to some of those? I mean, I, one you've highlighted to me in the past is the Nordstrom Service Center. Yeah. Which is pretty interesting. Yeah, so Nordstrom, they just recently opened this store in West Hollywood, which doesn't sell anything. I know, it's, it's insane just, <laughs> to think of a Nordstrom that doesn't, doesn't sell. Doesn't sell anything. It's, yeah. they, can, they consider this to be their neighborhood hub. So I shouldn't say they don't sell anything. They have, they have nail salon and they have tailors and right. there's um, you know, stylists there to help you kind of curate your fashion sense. They actually have bartenders. So they, they, you know, it's a place to come and kick back and have a, a cocktail at the end of the day or a cup of coffee during the day but there's no merchandise. So, and I think you look at the quote that came out from. Planning for your next trip, elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway. Like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I think it's their SVP of customer experience. But basically she was like, look, we know in LA people have to drive everywhere. And if we could take some of that off the table and allow them to wander down the street, hmm. it's a gateway into, you know, we were talking about back of the house inventory before. Right. It's a gateway into the Nordstrom experience of how to research, how to buy, how to be inspired for what you're going to buy. And what they were hoping to do is really bring some of the most popular, highly demanded services directly to that audience versus having them have to get in the car and make a trip to the mall. Now, if you want to buy something, we can absolutely set you up with one of the full service stores, or we can order it for you online and have it shipped to your house. But you're not going to find the the racks and racks of stuff. You're not going to find shelves of stuff. You're not going to find mannequins that are like screaming, hey, look at me, buy me. Right. It's more about a subtle way of engaging people into the experience. It's fascinating. I know there's at least one other that you were talking about, which was the Away stores, which I haven't gotten any luggage recently, but I, I may need to check them out yeah. from what I've heard. <laughs> yeah, it's so there's a store on, I think it's on Fifth Avenue or maybe Park Avenue, but it, the first away store. And I think since I've seen that location, I think they've opened a couple of others, but literally it's a suitcase store, right? Away makes luggage, but there are no suitcases when you come in, you walk in and it's a coffee shop and there's a wall of Mm. travel books and guides. And there are people there to help you kind of talk about where do I want to go? What's on my bucket list from a travel perspective. If you wander to the back of the store, there's finally (laughs) something to buy. And, but when they originally opened, all they had was one item and that was the carry-on. And it was really about, again, the inspiration of being free and mm-hmm. being able to just make that choice and pack you know, the essentials and be on your way. So the whole experience of going into that store was curated for that kind of mentality versus let me tell you about the wheels and all the pockets and the zippers. And yeah, I mean, the quality of the product needs to pay off and it needs to come through 
when that's part of the story gets told. Mm -hmm. But initially, it's all about the inspiration of what it means to be free and travel. Interesting. Well, a lot's going on in retail. If you got out your crystal ball, what do you think the future of retail looks like? Well, we talked about some of it. Smaller footprints, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Definitely more curation. Not feeling like... I need to have absolutely everything for every possibility for every person that walks through the door on my shelves, but more about who am I ultimately appealing to. So I think you'll see retailers really getting much better at local curation. I loved the example years ago, which is even more relevant today than it was maybe back then, was Best Buy featuring Polish polka music (laughs) in the Chicago stores because there was a huge Polish population there, right? right? So that kind of thought process of what is highly relevant to the audience that we're, we're trying to attract. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, spaces absolutely need to evolve from the kind of the mere transaction space to much more of an inspiration footprint. Digital and physical have to be better integrated. Not too long ago, a couple of years ago, even some of your bigger legacy retailers still treated com as a separate department with a whole separate staff and a whole separate P&L. And there was no willingness to cooperate because I don't get credit for a dot-com sale. I'm not going to send someone that way. Right. So I think you'll see much more of that. And shoppers are demanding that. If, if I walk into a store having seen something online and the price is different or the pack doesn't look the same, it's a whole disconnect. And that kind of drives the experience into a negative realm versus making sure that it's seamless and uh, and something that is delighting me every step of the way. Mm-hmm. Sales per square foot, year-over-year year comps, that's all. It's still important, but I think it needs to be less of the be-all and end-all because these inspiration spaces are not going to necessarily, I mean, Nordstrom is not building 3,000-square-foot stores with no merchandise and then saying, did we drive you know, sales over year-over-year? Right. Year? It's more about that longer-term customer loyalty, engaging them for the longer term, and then keeping them coming back for more. Hmm. Well, with all the changes going on, you know, how do you think at, at a high level, how should brands, big or small, think about tapping into these evolving retail scapes? Experience, storytelling, mm-hmm. they're everything. They're so important. They've always been important, but they are so critical now to getting that, that mix correct, that vibe correct. Defining and animating your story, who you are and why you deserve the time, the consideration, the dollars from that shopper. And that's for both brands and retailers. Mm. It just needs to be top of mind. Ankle biters, we call them. But the (laughs) the small brands that are coming up and are gaining share at the expense of some of these big legacy players, they're everywhere. And they have the ability to tell their story. And they have the ability to tap into the emotional connection with shoppers that may have not known who they are or even thought that they needed to make a change or consider making a change to a different brand from what they might have chosen in the past. So the ankle biters are making it even more effective or more critical for that storytelling and that experience to be delivered in a legitimate way. You can't can't make it up. You can't do it in a way that doesn't have credibility. And it shouldn't feel forced. It should feel natural. It should feel like the reason I came here was for X and I'm leaving feeling like I got X plus from the experience, which is going to, again, keep them coming back for more. But e-commerce has created that level playing field and the spoils are going to go to the smart and the nimble. Right. With that, I mean, I'm starting to conjure an entire new way of thinking about retail, right? Like versus a 
we've both worked with consumer packaged goods brands in the past. And right. Retail was just kind of the, we had to be there. We had to do the normal things. Right. I really didn't get a lot of strategic thought other than, you know, what weeks are we going to go on deal? But I see it in an entirely new way. I think now the way you're describing it, how would you describe what traditional trade or shopper marketing, how that's going to change as retail changes? Right. You know, we talked about the three legs of the stool mm -hmm. and the power that has shifted between those legs of the stool. I don't see the power from the crystal ball that I have, which is probably cracked and cloudy, but <laughs> I don't see that power shifting back to brands or retailers anytime in the near future. I think the shopper is equipped with so much information. Their social networks are helping them understand who's out there and what they should potentially consider. They're gathering their stories on their own and instead of brands telling their story kind of in a mass media context. So I think, you know, the fact that many retailers carry the same stuff, the consumers have all the choices available to them and they're deciding where to buy that stuff. There needs to be higher collaboration between mm -hmm. retailers and manufacturers. There needs to be cooperation on deciding what to invest in that's going to engage and delight the shopper to buy this here. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, is the critical question that every brand and every retailer who are planning for what they're going to do together to engage shoppers has to say, why would a shopper choose to come and buy this here? And that's not going to always be the same answer for every shopper. And it may not be the same answer for different days of the week. It may not be the same answer for different months of the year. So having the ability to continue to, to test mm -hmm. and then scale fast on things that are working or discard and keep moving on things that don't show that the return on the investment is going to be important. So measurement's going to be critical using data and finding ways to make the data make sense so that you can do more personalization for shoppers is going to be critical. I think, you know, again, not to overstate it, but that intimate, impactful, non-gimmicky brand experience has to be what the manufacturer and the retailer are jointly focused on. And again, it's the retailer's brand every bit as much as it is the brand that you're going to pull off the shelf and buy. So You've mentioned a couple of times the, the series of short-term promos. Mm. That, that's no longer relevant. Right. Having mayonnaise on sale for everyone <laughs> doesn't make sense when my household doesn't like mayonnaise. Right. It's not relevant to me. But knowing the data and the purchase behavior and the conversations that I'm having with you either directly or kind of on the periphery are telling you, don't worry about the mayonnaise promo for me, but maybe over here, you know, we are definitely gourmet coffee-centric. So making sure you get that offer right. You don't always have to give away the farm, but if you create a, a solution or a partnership between brands that drives value versus discounting price, those are all things that I think shopper marketing and trade marketing need to take into account. And then really think about how to communicate. So the brands communicate, what do they bring to the party in the context of that retailer? That I think is, has, was lost for a long time. And it was really more about how many facings can I get and then let's hope for the best. Particularly with new brands or smaller brands, the ability to take some of that investment instead of making it a, a contribution to the bottom line of the retailer, really communicating why it's in our joint best interest to spend it this way to attract an audience to come our way. Right. So, Good advice. Well, I want to shift gears a little bit. And I love getting to know the person behind the microphone, so to speak. Yeah. And I think listeners do too. So with that in mind, you know, is there an experience of your past that defines or makes up who you are today? 
Wow. <laughs> we got the couch out. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I would have to say getting married and having children. And I think about when I first got married, the process of really understanding and realizing that it wasn't just me making decisions unilaterally <laughs> right. anymore, but that you had to integrate the opinions and the kind of the interests of others in the conversation. So, and then you throw kids into the mix and they, I'm a firm believer, they come out hardwired. They have their own personalities, their right. own interests. So to me, that I think has made me a better marketer, a better collaborator, a better team member, because you have to integrate others' perspectives and opinions and really drive home the importance of what it means to be on a team. And sometimes your point of view is not going to win out and that's okay. You know, I think about who I am today as a marketer versus who I was when I was in my 20s and early 30s. It's a very different, I like to think some of that's wisdom, but <laughs> I think a lot of it's trial and error. And really kind of, I think about the teams that I've worked on since I had my children and it's a very different dynamic. So I think, you know, hopefully that answers your question, but yeah. it has been a driving force in the philosophy of how I've approached kind oh, of my business world. That's great. What fuels you? What keeps you going? I love to cook. It's a great platform for experimentation. We've recently come off a stint of some nasty weather in the area, and we were kind of cooped up with a bunch of people. And to me, it was an opportunity to kind of throw down, as they say, and kind of experiment with some different things. You know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and see what comes out on the other end and kind of use your creativity. But it's also a science, right? So it's right. kind of that mixture of right brain, left brain. <laughs> and then, you know, I also love the idea, baking in particular, but sometimes it's just best to just stick to the recipe <laughs> and get proportions right. And, you know, it's a tried and true and you know it's going to be good on the other end. Don't mess with it. So right. that's kind of how I've approached this whole retail shopper, kind of whatever marketing thing you want to call it. It's just, it's, you know, a combination of really kind of knowing when to push the envelope and when to really go back to, we know this is going to work. So, or we have a good sense that it's going to work. So right. uh, let's go with it. I've also really become a huge HGTV nerd right. <laughs> and spent a lot of time, particularly recently, the last couple of years on much more kind of renovation, mm. investment kinds of things in real estate. Because again, I think it's a, it's a combination of that does it make good business sense? But is there also an opportunity to kind of do some creative expression and uh, taking something from what it is today and what it could be kind of for the future? So I guess those are a couple of things that could kind of drive me. That's good. Most marketers, I think, tend to be students of the business. And you've mentioned a ton of brands in retail already. But are there brands or companies or even causes that you think others should be taking notice of? So one of my favorite brand stories is Publix. And I remember this couple of years ago now, Publix had a location across the street from where my in-laws had a house. And I was over at the store and they were actually closing the store down. They were bulldozing it and they were building a brand new Publix in its place. And so this was, say it was a Tuesday night and the place was, you know, officially closed Wednesday morning. I walked in that afternoon and they were stocking the shelves. And I kind of like, I asked the guy, I'm like, is aren't you guys closing? He said, yes, we are. And I'm like, well, why are you putting things on the shelf? I would have expected to see you right. pulling things off. He said, oh no, that would not be the public's experience. We have to make sure that we're constantly <laughs> in tune with what people expect when they come into one of our stores. So I just, that has always stuck with me as, you know, going that little extra mile. Yeah. You probably paid a little bit extra labor costs and 
you had to undo everything that you did. But in the scheme of things, the people walking out of that store were like, they, the, the details matter. So that one's always kind of stuck with me. I love what T-Mobile is doing mm. with disrupting the whole wireless world. Yeah. T-Mobile may not have the best coverage. And I think if you talk to some people with T-Mobile, they will say <laughs> it has awful coverage. But they love the brand and they right. love what the brand is doing and how it's kind of like saying status quo no longer works. And the perks that you get, which are kind of valuable and unexpected, really, I think, make them punch way above their weight against some formidable competition. And they continue to say, you know, we're not going to just stand around and kind of watch what Verizon or AT&T is going to dictate the wireless world's going to look like. And it's given them fits. It's given them headaches, which is kind of fun. I know you and I have also had some time to be able to work a little bit with the American underground here in Durham. Yeah. I love the incubator concept. I love working with brands that have a passion and a vision and they're trying to get their legs under them. And, you know, if I can bring any kind of expertise or value to that conversation or help them and support them in what they're trying to achieve, that I'll do all day long, every day of the week. And then, you know, I just, I do the local causes really are more my thing. So I spend a lot of time with the food pantries and mm-hmm. the my kids' schools and the efforts that they're trying to do. Or recently before I left New Jersey, we spent a lot of time after this hurricane up there doing Mm. local relief efforts. So those kinds of things where you can really roll up your sleeves and see the immediate impact that you're making, Mm -hmm. again, are where I'll spend my time. Makes sense. The last question, and this one, broadening it, we've already talked about the future of shopper marketing and retail in general. Uh, You know, if you think about marketing in its broadest sense, where do you think the future of that looks like? So I'll start by bringing it a little bit back to retail as the example, but I think it has relevance to marketing in general. And that is, I like to say what's old is what's new. Mm. Um, You think about the mom and pops when, you know, back in the, before there was the big super retailers and there were national footprints and all that, you'd walk into your local store on Main Street and the guy behind the counter knew who you were, knew who your family was. There was no kind of mistaking Mm-hmm. that there was a personalization and a connection there. And I think that's what data and all of this kind of digital and mobile infrastructure has allowed us to get back to if we do it correctly and do it at scale, right? So yeah, you're not going to walk into Target and the manager is going to come running out and say, hey, Alan, glad you're back. Right. But Target and the systems can know Alan's in the store or Alan is engaged with Target again and these are some things that we could be doing to make him very aware of the fact that we value him, we understand him, we understand what's important to him. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, the whole idea of mass marketing mm-hmm. plays a role still, but it needs to be complemented by that individual right. kind of personalized story that gets told. Yeah. And the ability for the story not to be forced on the audience, but more that the story is being told for the brand on behalf of the brand by some audiences that you actually trust. So social becomes a very important, even more important role going forward. So I think, you know, again, wrapping it up, to me, it's all about the individual now versus the mass audience, Mm -hmm. but getting it so that you can do that at scale. Thanks. Well, Scott, thanks for coming on the show. I'm happy to have been here. Thanks for having me. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with writing and editing by Kevin Greeley, social media support by Megan Woods, art and graphic design by Sarah Dell. 
If you're new to marketing today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners and you can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes with links to anything we talk about on any episode. You can also search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.